It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Hi, this is Nathan. I love what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says about our life in Christ Jesus. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I love the fact that Paul uses this idea of creation. In fact, he's hearkening back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when God is creating and putting all things into existence. And that's actually going to be the focus of the Daily Thunder today. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1 and this creation event and seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. It's an incredible picture of our life as a Christian. Well, before we get into the session, I just want to let you know that if you're an Ellerslie alumni, someone who's been through the discipleship training program here on the Ellerslie campus, we have a special alumni summit starting July 19th and going through July 25th. And if you're an Ellerslie alumni, I would highly encourage you to consider coming and just spending time with fellow like-minded believers as we pursue Christ together. Now, if you're not an Ellerslie alumni or not yet an Ellerslie alumni, be sure to check out our training programs on our ellerslie.com forward slash daily page, where you can not only go through some great discipleship training, but then become an Ellerslie alumni and join us for future alumni summits. Again, you can get more information at ellerslie.com forward slash daily. And now if you have your Bibles, we're going to be starting in Genesis chapter 5, but then we're going to be going back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and looking at creation and how it is a grand picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. We've been walking through a, a little mini-series, uh, which I think we just have, after this one, we only have four more uh, sessions. So whew, we're just this feels like really short since I'm used to like these ongoing series that never end, but Nonetheless, as we've been walking through this Ellerslie Online Training, uh, we've been <clears throat> talking about Jesus in the Old Testament and just some pictures of Jesus uh, throughout the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 5 uh, is where we're going to look at. At least we're going to start there and then go back to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, on Tuesday, we were walking through the statement of in the beginning. So we were looking at Genesis 1-1 and, and that statement of in the beginning and that just that profound reality of that. It was through the firstborn. It was through Jesus Christ that all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that was made. And that we were looking at just kind of a little picture of Jesus uh, in the very beginning of Scripture. Um, I want to give you two, in one sense, two pictures of Jesus. Uh, this one's just kind of for kicks and giggles, and it's rather short. I decided to throw it out to you since it's still in our Genesis, uh, kind of early Genesis section here. But in Genesis chapter 5, God has given us the lineage of Adam down through Noah. So the entire chapter is just so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, which I recognize typically that is not that impressive. And uh, if you're like most people, we tend to skip over. <laughs> we tend to skip over the lineages. In fact, in my reading plan, I'm going through Chronicles right now, and I got to the got to the lineage stuff, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna jump down a few paragraphs because you know, just the so and so's begot so and so's, and I, I recognize as you're going through the begots, 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 you know, the the thought process most of us have is so what, but we have to remember that 
this thing is, in fact, the very words of God. This thing was given to us, which means everything is significant for some reason. And obviously, there's a lot of things that were left out that I wish God would have included. Like, there's, there's stories that he hints at, but does not give us the fruition of. He just kind of says, oh, that happened. And, like, he skips over this grand, epic story that could have been in there. And then he spends all this time, page after page after page, doing these begot, begot, begot stuff. And so, of course, you have to ask yourself, why, why is there so much time spent in the begot, begot, begot stuff? And, again, I'm just going to give you one illustration. And if you ever listen to Eric's message, The Lineage of Majesty, he goes through an exhaustive picture of this. But when you just look at Genesis chapter 5 and you look at the lineage of Adam down through Noah, it becomes a beautiful declaration of the gospel. And, again, just, we're just looking at Jesus in the Old Testament as, as a whole. I just want you to hear how profound this is. Now, again, I do not think this is by accident. I do not think this is a coincidence. I, I think this was God orchestrated, again, to showcase the reality of Jesus. So I'm not going to read Genesis 5 for all of our sakes, but let me just give you the lineage and their names or the meaning of their names. So obviously we start with Adam. His, his name means man. His son was Seth, which means appointed. Enosh means mortal, frail, or miserable, which <laughs> that's just so sad. It's like, what do we want to name our kid? Miserable. I just, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, Kenan or Canaan means sorrow, dirge, or elegy. Mahalel means the blessed God. Uh, Jared means, it's, it's a verb that means shall come down. Enoch means commencement or teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lamech means despairing. And Noah, the word Noah means comfort or rest. So when you, when you string all these together and you're just looking at these first 10 descendants or the, this first you know, 10 of, of, the, of the lineage, it's amazing how you just begin to hear this echo or this declaration of the coming Messiah and his work upon the cross. So let me read it to you as if it's descendants. So these are just the meanings of the names of these descendants. Man is appointed for mortal sorrow. But the blessed God shall come down teaching us that his death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. You realize that is what Jesus is doing? That we are appointed for mortal sorrow. We are destined, that's not, that's not the word I want to use, but, but because of the wages of sin, the result of that is death. Right? That, that we, because of our sin, we are appointed for mortal sorrow. We, we have death. Right? Hell is our punishment. And yet, the blessed God has come down teaching us that his death upon a cross is going to bring us comfort and rest. It's going to free us. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Just this little echo uh, in the Old Testament. Well, if you t flip back a couple of pages to Genesis chapter 1, again, we looked at this on Tuesday, but I want to look at, look at just this creation account afresh with you this morning and just want to see Jesus in this. <clears throat> again, I'm not going to read it. You can read it in your own time if you'd like to walk through this whole thing. It's amazing, though, as you begin to walk through the days of creation, how profound the days of creation are. Uh, obviously, on the very first day in verse 3, God speaks, let there be light. And isn't it awesome that it's not like he got up and, you know, got his, you know, work belt and, you know, got his hammer and his wood and his tenpenny nails and all. I mean, he, he didn't get all this stuff, right? His hammer and screwdriver and socket wrench and whatever. I'm not a builder, so I don't know what else to use, but a saw, right? It's not like he grabbed all this stuff and said, all right. I'm going to go build a world. It's like he got up one day and just said, ah, oh, I'm going to build a world. Let there be light. That's enough for today. I just, I, <laughs> I, I think that's awesome. Because you get to the seventh day and he rests. 
And, you know, what did he rest from? I mean, we talk all day long, and most, most of you can keep on talking. You know, like, you do not need rest at the end of your talking. So here is God. He gives, like, one statement, and then he rests at the end of this thing. And obviously, the rest is for us and not for him. We, we understand all that. But I, I, just, I just find this humorous in one sense. But on day one, he creates light. Day two, he separates the sky, the firmament, from the, from the waters. On day three, he creates the land out of the waters, right? He creates the, creates the grass, the herbs, the trees, all, the, all that kind of green stuff. On day four, he creates the sun, moon, and the stars. Day five, he creates the bird, the fish, and the sea creatures. And then on uh, day six, he creates the cattle, the creeping things, the creepy things, and humanity, and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> it's amazing to me, and I don't know how far you want to push this, and I don't want to push it too far, uh, but I've just been pondering, isn't it interesting that even in the order of creation, there's like this glimmer of you were not made for yourself. And what I mean by that is there's this really prof- profound parallel throughout the days of creation. For example, day one, you have light. Day four, you have the sun, moon, and the stars. That there's this thing that fills up or holds the light. Right? On day two, you have the, the, the sky and the waters. And then on day five, you have the things that fill up the skies and the waters. Right? He created the birds and then the, the fish and the, the sea creatures. On day three, he creates the land and all the herbs and the trees and stuff. And then on day six, he creates the things that fill that up, the cattle, the creeping things, and humanity. And it seems like there's, and again, I don't, I don't want to push this too far, but it seems like there's this theme or this hint that there is something is created and there's something that is needed to fill that up. And isn't it a neat thought that you were created, but you were made to be filled up? That you even, you even get that uh, in the uh, Genesis 1, uh, oh, sorry, it's Genesis 2, uh, verse 7. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and then he filled him up by breathing into his nostrils the breath of life, and that is when man became a living being. So it seems like, and then you even get that in the New Testament where here is God, he says, or sorry, here is God speaking through Paul. And Paul says, do you not recognize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That, that you weren't just made for yourself, you were made to be filled up. That, that Christianity is not your effort, not your ability, not your resource, but you were made as a vessel to be filled up. Right? Paul says that, that we are these earthing vessels, that we are these jars of clay, that we are these crackpots. <laughs> which is just sad, right? And some of us have bigger cracks than others. But, 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 you, but you are a cracked pot. And, and the very presence and the glory of God is shoved into that pot. And the, the very presence, the very life of who God is, is to be oozing forth out of our lives. Right? That, 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 is, that is who you are. You were made to be filled up. And again, I don't know how far you want to push it from the Genesis thing. I just find that it's interesting that you, you hear that echo even in this Genesis account. <clears throat> Uh, one other, maybe just fun, this is totally side note, has nothing to do with the session. I just think this is profound, <clears throat> or <clears throat> humorous maybe. Uh, on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday, God creates light. And he blessed the, blessed the light, and he, uh, so evening and morning was the first day. <clears throat> on day two, which was Monday, he creates, again, he separates the skies from the waters, and evening and morning the second day. Isn't it interesting? Again, this is just kicks and giggle stuff, but isn't it interesting that on Monday there was no blessing? Which makes sense because that's when we all go to work. And not a single, I've never heard a single person go, oh, it's Monday. Oh, this is going to be a blessed day. It's, oh, it's Monday. 
See, Friday we know is a blessed day, right? Because the weekend's coming. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I just think that's funny, though, <laughs> that God did not bless Mondays. But Tuesdays, right, when, when, he, when he created the land, the grass, the herbs, and the trees, he blessed Tuesday twice. And it's actually the day of double blessing, which is kind of neat. So he kind of made up for the Monday, lack of Monday blessing on Tuesday, which is why most Jewish weddings happen on Tuesdays, uh, because it's the day of double blessing, which is just kind of fun kicks and giggles. So all that being said, what I want to give you, or kind of the highlight or what I want to focus on this morning in the little time we have, is there's a statement that's made throughout the creation account that is, that is intriguing when you begin to think through it. <clears throat> Every single day, from day one through day six, it says, for, for example, if you look at the end of verse five, it says, so there was evening and morning the first day. And in verse eight, so there was evening and morning the second day. And then you have... Uh, for example, like verse 19, evening and morning the fourth day. So you have this declaration at the end of every single day of evening, morning, evening, morning. Now, I don't know if you ever pondered that through, but that is the weirdest way to articulate a day. Why didn't he say it was morning and evening? That makes more sense in my head, right? Because as, as in our culture, we live, you know, most of our days when we get up and then it ends when we go to bed. But in Jewish culture, and obviously it came out of this whole thing, right? Their day begins, begins at sundown. So Shabbat on Saturday, right, it's the end of the week, the celebration thing, does not start on what we think is Saturday. It starts at sundown on Friday, right? So Shabbat is Friday night <clears throat> at sundown, and it goes through Saturday night at sundown, right? So they have a whole different thought process in terms of time, and it came out of this whole scene. So again, the days were framed in this evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning thing. Uh, and I think there's profundity in this, and I'll talk about it in just one second. It's interesting, though, as you walk through the creation thing, it's evening, morning, evening, morning, until you get to the seventh day. And on the seventh day, there is no mention of evening and morning. Now, if you think this through, logically, was there an evening and a morning? Yes. Right? In other words, it wasn't like somehow seventh day became a non-day, right? And there's, it was a literal day. So why is it that it was left out on day seven, and why is it evening, morning? Why is it, why is it in that order, days one through six? And I think in that, it has the, the nugget, the, the thought, this great picture of the gospel. The word here <clears throat> translated evening uh, is the Hebrew word erev. And that word erev, it's interesting, it has this idea of, of, of obscurity, has this idea of mixture, uh, has this idea of entropy. If you've ever taken science, right, you're taught entropy. The idea of entropy, I'm not a scientist, <laughs> so someone can correct me. But what I was told is that entropy, the idea of entropy, is that things progressively get worse and worse and worse. Uh, that there is more and more buildup and destruction. Uh, the darkness gets greater and greater and greater. Uh, the illustration that made sense in my head is that when I was a little kid, you know, my mom would come in and say, hey, clean your room. And so I would spend hours and hours and hours and hours just cleaning my room and finally getting everything where it's supposed to go. And, you know, oh, it's finally where it's supposed to be. And then the next week comes by, and, you know, just life happens and things just take place. And mom walks back in the room and she goes, hey, why is your room a mess? You spent hours last week cleaning it. Why is your room a mess? And I would look at her and go, I'm sorry, entropy. Right, that things progressively just get worse. That over time, that, right, you just put a little clutter and then a little bit more clutter and then a little bit more clutter and then a little bit more clutter and suddenly now you've got to spend hours and hours again trying to clean up your room. Why? Entropy. Right, it's not my fault, mom. Entropy. Right, that that's kind of this idea. 
And it became known as evening because of that, because of that idea of, of obscurity and mixture, right? So as, as we're getting closer to evening, right, there's more shadows. It starts getting darker. It's harder to see. Things are becoming obscure. And so there's this, there's this mixture. There's this blindness. There's this darkness that's creeping in, that there's this corruption. Maybe if you want to use that kind of a language, right? And as you, even as you look at this idea in Scripture of Erev, uh, one, one scholar said it this way, it's when the encroaching darkness begins to deny the ability to discern forms, shapes, and identities, and hence twilight evening became the time of approaching darkness. In other words, it's this idea of disorder and noise and chaos and entropy. Now the word there for morning <clears throat> is the Hebrew word boker, and it's almost the opposite of the era thing, that this is, things are becoming discernible. Hey, light is shining, so hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be able to see clearly. I no longer have to stub my toe, right? Things are becoming clear again. And it became known as morning, that, that word boker <clears throat> or, or dawn. Think about how profound this is in light of the reality of Jesus. On the first day, there's all this Erev. What does God do? He speaks into the Erev, and he brings about a boker. It's evening and morning. That, that there, here's all this entropy. Here's all this chaos. Here's, in fact, you even see that in, uh, in Genesis 1 verse 2, right? There's this, there's this chaos. There's this formlessness. There's this entropy stuff. There's this air of reality happening. And what does God do? He speaks light into the midst of darkness. And so here's all this air of, here's all this corruption. God speaks into that, and he brings it from air of to boker. But now you've got the second day. Well, we understand the world has not been perfected yet. So at this level, there's now Erev. So what does God do? He speaks into this day two level of Erev, and he brings about a greater boker. Oh, day three, he speaks into this and brings about a greater boker. And then on day four, he speaks into this, into this Erev and brings about a greater boker. And then day five, he speaks into this Erev and brings about a greater boker. And it seems like as you're progressing through the creation scene, there is a decrease of the Erev day by day, and there's an increase of the boker. In other words, what God is doing throughout this thing is he's removing the chaos. He's removing the obscurity. He's removing the darkness. He's removing all of that reality, and he's being, bringing greater and greater clarity, and he's removing all the... Does that make any sense? I think that is profound in light of the gospel. That when you look at day one, what is God, what is God doing? He's speaking light in the midst of darkness. Do you know what that is? That is your life. That here is Jesus, and he says, you know who I am? I am the light. In fact, you read John chapter 1, Jesus, uh, John makes it very clear that, that the light has come into the world. That, that here is this light, and it's being, he is the word. Think about this. The word has like come into the world. It is being spoken in the world, and that word is the light itself. And the, war, the light has come into a dark world, and it's shining bright. That's what he's done in our life, that our life is full of darkness and obscurity and chaos and entropy. And what has God done? He has spoke his life into us, and he's brought forth light in the midst of darkness. But you don't have to go that far in your life to recognize you are not perfected. Sorry to tell that to you. <laughs> you still have issues, some of you more than others. But, I mean, you guys still have issues. I still have issues, you know? So what does God need to do? Well, God needs to then speak into this level of my life and bring me from this era, from this destruction, and bring about a greater boker. Well, that doesn't, 
Hey, he needs then to speak into this era of my life and bring about a greater boker. And, and what is he doing throughout our lives? He's bringing about a greater and greater what we call sanctification. Right? He, he's bringing about this holiness in our life. He's bringing about, he's removing the obscurity. He's removing the chaos. He's removing all this noise and distraction and darkness and pollution. And he's bringing about life. He's bringing about order. He's bringing about his, himself, his holiness, his light in the midst of our lives. Isn't that profound? Now, I think it's interesting that when you get to day seven, there was no evening and morning. Now, again, I think literally there was an evening and morning. In other words, it was a day. But why, why did the author leave the evening and morning thing out of day seven? I think God did that purposely to show us that at the end of creation, creation could not have gotten any better. It was perfected. There was no more Erev to speak into and bring forth greater Boker. Boker was the finality. There, there was no more darkness. There was no more chaos. There was no more destruction. There, there was nothing for God to fix. Why? Because it was in its perfected state prior to the fall. Now, I, I'm presuming you know this, but you'll recognize that I don't think we're going to get to that out this side of heaven. <laughs> that the sanctification process that God is working in our life is lifelong. Right Around here, we talk about this idea that when God comes into our life <clears throat> and he speaks light into the midst of our darkness, you know, he begins to deal with these, these bolder kind of issues, right? So here, here, I, here, I, here, here I am, I've been you know, murdering five people every weekend. And uh, this is an illustration, it's not real, <laughs> just in case anybody was concerned. But God speaks in, in, God speaks in the middle of my life, brings forth light, and he now begins to deal with the error of issues of my life. I have light, but I still have all this corruption stuff. So what does God do? He, <clears throat> he deals with my murder issue and says, uh, uh, Nathan, you, you can't keep murdering people every weekend, right? There's these massive boulders in my life, right? Murder or pride or lust or whatever it may be. And he deals with that issue and he brings me to a place where now I'm not murdering people on the weekend, but I do go down to the bar and I'm throwing darts at their faces, right? I put their face on the, the dartboard and I'm throwing darts at them. Why? Because I'm just still full of hatred. Well, God then needs to speak into that Erev and brings, bring forth a greater boker. Nathan, you can't, it's not just murdering the people. I want to deal with the hatred stuff. And then he starts dealing with the frustration stuff. And then he starts dealing with the annoyance stuff. And then he starts dealing with the, the see, it's like he's, he's going from boulders to rocks, to pebbles, to dust particles, right? That there's a sanctification process. Now, 20 years into your Christian life, he probably should not still be dealing with boulders. I'm presuming. <laughs> you know, like, like, if you still have a murder problem, please let God deal with you, right? But what you're going to find is that there's not a time, in, I'm presuming, there's not a time in our life when we go, oh, I've made it. God, God has perfected me. I don't need any more work. Because then you have pride, which means he needs to start doing more work on you, right? That this thing is lifelong, and yet he shouldn't be dealing with the boulders. He shouldn't be dealing with the big rocks. He shouldn't have to be dealing with the pebble stuff as we progress in our Christian life. Now, I understand this takes time. I do, I do understand that. I understand that habits, you know, if you've had a habit for 47 years, right, it just, a lot of times it's not instantaneous. I know God can change it instantaneous. He's willing to do that. I understand that. But a lot of times we have to walk through the process, and we have to wrestle through it in and by the way, I found that if I get things instantaneously, I don't treasure them as much as if I have to fight for them. 
that, that when I have to wrestle and wrestle and wrestle for something and then I obtain the victory, I refuse to let that go. Because, hey, this is, this is well fought. And I, and I recognize the battle and I recognize how important that is. But this process of sanctification, hey, we live in a sin-scarred body. And there's times where, you know, it's like you have these attitudes or you, you have these thought processes or you have these whatever that he has to keep dealing with. That, that doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means he's bringing you through this sanctification process. So isn't it interesting <clears throat> in the Christian life, this, this, what we call sanctification, this process of him making you more and more and more like himself. He's making you more and more holy. He's, he's removing more and more of that entropy and chaos and disorder and junk. He's been bringing about a greater level of order in life. You realize there is coming a day when all that's going to pass away. And we get to have <laughs> full freedom in life and victory in Christ. I mean, we can have full victory and freedom in life in Christ now. I get that. <clears throat> but won't it be amazing when there comes a day when sin is not going to be the issue? That we don't have to be dealing with this corruption and the sin nature stuff and, and the propensities and the temptations and the, that there's going to be freedom and there's going to be no more Arab to be dealing with. There's going to be boker. Now, you don't get that, I'm presuming, until we get to heaven. So it is coming for some of us faster than others. But hey, it's coming, right? But wouldn't it be amazing if we begin to recognize that what God is longing to do, just like he worked in creation, is that he wants to deal with my chaos. He wants to deal with my entropy. He wants to deal with my noise, my junk, my sin. And he wants to speak light into the midst of the darkness. But once he speaks light into the midst of the darkness, it doesn't mean he's done. You know, in the modern church today, it is, it is interesting to me that that, you know, someone comes to Christ and we, we say, well, well done, and, and just grit your teeth and, you know, journey on and, you know, you'll eventually, you'll eventually be done. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is, yes, you have light, but now he's wanting to do something in your life to change you so that you do not look like the same person you were. Right? If you go to 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul is so clear. He says, hey, the old has passed away. The new has come. In fact, the only way that we can describe the new of who you are, that what Christ has done in you, is that you are a brand new creation. And he's using the term that we're talking about for creation. He's, he's talking about the fact that, hey, just as God brought forth creation into the world and changed it from this chaos into something that is beautiful and blessed, you realize that's what he's done in your life. And the reality of the Christian life is you may look the, look the same and smell the same, but you are not the same. That there's been this radical shift that's taken place. A line has been drawn in the sand. You have stepped over that line, and you are a brand new creature. That you're something brand new. Uh, Jesus in John 17, uh, it's the high priestly prayer. He's been in the upper room, and he's been talking to the disciples about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the vine and branch stuff and abiding. But in John 17, he starts praying to the Father, and it's just it's an incredible passage. But, but listen to verse 17. Jesus says, he's praying to the Father, Father, sanctify them, speaking about the disciples, and as an extension, us as well, but sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Do you realize that the, one of the prayers that Jesus had for us is that God would take, the Father would take this word, his very word, and we press that word in our life and begin to sanctify our lives by the truth. 
And we understand that it's not just these words are truth. He is the truth. That he is the one that is sanctifying us. That he is taking his word, which is the truth, through the spirit who lives inside of you, which is the spirit of truth, and he's going to bring about all truth in your life, and he's going to begin to sanctify you. That he's going to start poking at things, saying, you see that uh, motive? Yep, see that attitude? Yep, see that thing there? That can't be. That has to go. That, that I want to change you. I, I want to perfect you. I, I want to make you into my image. Now, again, I realize this is lifelong, but wouldn't it be amazing if we would freshly surrender ourselves to Jesus and say, Jesus, have at it. Whatever you need to change in my life, whatever, whatever motives, whatever attitudes, whatever thought processes, whatever, whatever behaviors, whatever, whatever you want, take everything and begin to sanctify it by your truth. Don't just speak light into my life. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you for that. Don't just speak light into my darkness, but will you take my Arab and all these areas that desperately need change and transformation, and would you continually bring about a greater level of boker and boker and boker and boker so that the Arab decreases and his life increases. I think it's an incredible picture in the creation account of the reality of what God is wanting to do in and through us by his dear son. That as Colossians says, he, he wants to deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That, that he's wanting to yank us out of this pollution, this darkness, and bring us into this place of light and love, which is defined by Jesus. May we live in that reality. Well, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we do love you. Lord, I'm so just, just mind boggles me that, that in the midst of my darkness, in the midst of my chaos, in the midst of my sin, you died for me. That you were willing the word to be spoken. Not just in word, but in life. And you became light in the midst of this dark world. That you became light in the midst of my dark life. And Lord, what, a, what an amazing reality that it's not just you saved us and you kind of dusted off your hands and just kind of sent us on our way, but that you are wanting to fill us with your very presence, your life, your spirit, and you're wanting to consistently transform every area of our life. Lord, don't just deal with the boulders of our lives. Deal with the rocks. Lord, don't just deal with the rocks of our lives. Will you deal with the pebbles? Lord, don't just deal with the pebbles, but will you deal with the dust particles? Lord, I, I don't want sin, corruption, this Erev stuff to have any grip in my life. Well, what would it look like as a body of believers if we had just allowed you through your indwelling spirit to cleanse and transform, to turn us on our heads, if you will. And that when people would look at our lives, it's not just like, well, yeah, yeah, they, they use Christian language. Woo, isn't that nice? Well, yeah, they, yeah, they got the bumper stickers. But Lord, that when they look at our life, they would be overwhelmed by the reality that there is something different. That we are not the same as we used to be. That, that, there, that we are, in fact, a new creation. And th though we may look the same, we are not the same. And Lord, as you, as you prayed, Lord, would you sanctify us by your truth? Your word is truth, but you are the truth. And the spirit of truth dwells within us. And Lord, we just freshly surrender and throw ourselves at the foot of the cross and just say, have at it. 
Lord, would you open up every door? Would you open up every cupboard and, and drawer of our lives? And would you, would you remove anything and everything that does not look like you? Lord, I know that we can walk in victory and triumph this side of heaven. But Lord, I'm so excited for the time when <laughs> all this sin stuff just goes away. But until then, Jesus, would you, would you be the center of our focus? Would you be our delight? Would you be our, our love? Would, would you, will you be the, the center of our, of our very being? Will you be preeminent in our lives? And again, Jesus, anything in our life that does not look like you, any thoughts that are not of, your, uh, not of you, any, any attitudes that, that, that do not glorify you, any motives that we have that are, that are for ourselves, Lord, will you point those out? And would you bring conviction? And, and would you change and transform who we are so we look ever more and more like you? Thank you for such a reality. Thank you for your light. But thank you for your love where you refuse us to leave us the way we are. And that you want to bring sanctification and life and holiness and godliness, righteousness and truth, purity in our lives. We just give you the praise and the glory, Jesus. We love you. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.